0: Welcome to another episode of Bringing Design Closer. My name is Jerry Scullion and I'm a service designer and founder of This Is Hate and CEO of thisisdoing.com, where we provide live online design and innovation classes, providing training for service designers, design researchers, product managers, user experience designers, content designers, and much, much more. But today in the show, we have Errol Fox, someone I recently connected with, not on Twitter, but within the This Is Hate Slack channel. Errol describes himself as a human rights-centred and humanitarian designer and as one of those designers that makes many of us quite enviable with their skills. They can work with organisations in pretty much any area of design, from workshop facilitation through to UX research, prototyping. They're pretty much an all-rounder. But we speak about diversity in design, but not at a superficial level. We try to get a little bit deeper into areas around speaking up within organisations and feeling empowered to do so. I love speaking with Errol. They're a wonderful person, and I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Let's jump in. Errol Fox, a very warm welcome to Bringing Design Closer. How are you?
1: I am good. Thank you for uh, chatting with me today.
0: No worries. I'm excited to speak with you. Errol, let's kick off. Let's start talking a little bit about you. Tell us how you describe what you do to your friends and family.
1: Oh, well, my friends and family don't really get much of a an intro. But for those that are interested, I say I am a designer, a designer of things. I don't tend to give myself much of a title anymore. I kind of have had many titles over the years, but I am currently doing most of my hours at an organization called the Open Food Network. So I work there as their sort of lead designer, which means that I do anything and everything design-wise. So product, management, writing issues, doing all the things. I also do lots of other things outside of that. So I help maintain a community called the Open Source Design Community. I am part of sustaining UX and design in Open Source Working Group. I do stuff at OpenIDO London. I do other things at another group called the Human Rights Center Design Group. And then I do a bit of speaking and a bit of other things on the side when I get time and don't need to sleep. So. Yeah. That is largely what I do.
0: You are busy. I follow you on Twitter and there's always something going on. It's like something big is happening every week in Errol's life. At the moment, it seems. I know you're speaking at a conference recently.
1: Yeah, I just finished doing a really interesting workshop, actually, with a really amazing designer called Abigail Makolo. I met her in Nigeria at the beginning of this year when she was giving a, a talk about uh, how she got started in open source design. And... Mm you know, one of those moments where you meet another designer and you're like, I have to do something with you. I have to collaborate. We just have to. So I grabbed her and said, let's do a workshop together. So we did. Yeah, we did a a two and three quarter hour workshop for very intense maintainer developers in open source talking about design related things. So yeah, it was good. I found that doing online workshops though, especially with like a developer audience, there is a challenge with having them just have open discussion about different things. So yeah,
0: I don't think that's just the developer community. I think it's True. generally online. It's it's kind of hard to build a, an open kind of dialogue across a number of people at the same time. Mm. But hopefully, we're it'll get a little bit better because I do a lot of work online, and it's you know I'm noticing a lot, more people are kind of coming to the trough and sort of drink mm. in the water, shall we say. But I want to chat to you more today because we've been working on this episode probably about two months. We've spoken about two months ago and you sent me a note there and I wanted to read it out as a prologue for this conversation. I'm going to read it out first. So it goes, we're getting into tricky and complicated territory where there can be virtue signaling, cultural and community assumptions, access level being accurate representations of inclusion, and something that sounds very boohoo, poor white person. From my perspective, the more that you want to be a designer, the battles for inclusion, representation, and justice in design for underrepresented majorities, the more you can distance yourself from your community. That there isn't yet, and yet you're not part of these communities that you want to do right by. You kind of float in between in a space that perhaps is uninhibited by a handful of other people that are slowly becoming more happy to move away from the herd but in that there is vulnerability. Tell Mm. us what you were thinking when you wrote that.
1: Yeah, this is the challenge. So when we are talking about diversity and inclusion and then accessibility and justice within the design profession or within your design work there, and I've been doing this for about five years. Like, I first started becoming really interested in how representation of people happening in my design work about five years ago when I actually started to work in startups as opposed to commercial big big companies and I started to experience the freedom of being able to position more like what I thought at the time was edgier ideas uh, which were just about really diversity and inclusion ideas and as the five years have progressed, and I've slowly become more involved in things to do with human rights and things to do with humanitarian efforts and working for an organization that was based in Kenya and organizations that are based globally or doing global kind of work for communities that don't necessarily have the kind of same kind of access to resources as I have, mm. and doing design for those communities, the more I've been experiencing this feeling of wanting to do right by those communities, be involved in those communities, learn more so that I can be a better designer and better design for those communities because I am hired to do that. But the more that you embed yourself and learn and genuinely have this passion to be inclusive and to be thinking in a design justice kind of way, the more you're aligning yourself with those communities those underrepresented majorities but you'll never quite be you'll never be part of them you're not you mm. don't experience the same kind of discrimination that they will face you you can understand it objectively you can even empathize to a great degree but you won't be part of them even though they might welcome you like into their communities that there's always mm. going to be that i'm not quite part of this community but then you also distance yourself from your community of origin. Yeah. And that—that that is white, reasonably well-off people in my case.
0: Yeah, it, it is a little bit of a case of trying to encapsulate something that's entirely complex. And there's a case there that it can be easily trivialised by just saying that we've included these people and we spent an hour with them and we did these exercises Mm -hmm. And these are the main pains and gains that we've identified. Let's go fix them. There is a little bit of painting by numbers there to try and solve some seriously complex issues.
1: Yeah, definitely. I have experienced a lot of different projects where we have, even, even in companies that are based, say, in Kenya or based in sort of communities that they want to serve, where we've tried to take some kind of participatory design approach, or, you mm. know, maybe we are trying to include the communities that we want to design for as much as possible. And yet, what you're doing is often constrained by all kinds of different resources, as well as your own access and feelings. So, mm-hmm. even if you are able to hire somebody that is part of the community, pay them like the same that you would be paid, fully include them in that process of participatory work or liberatory work, then you still are filtering it through your experience as a kind of slightly, slight Mm -hmm. outsider designer. And I had a, a lot of inner turmoil and outer turmoil actually as well. Yeah. with my design colleagues about whether or not we should really be designing for these communities and how we should be designing for these communities. And that kind of going back to what we were saying at first, it's that boo-hoo, <laughs> boo-hoo yeah. white designer. All well, you know, you've got such complex feelings about being paid to really interesting work. Like the work is fascinating and interesting and wonderful in a way that you feel you know, you feel grateful that you're able to work on these really complicated problems. But who are you as a privileged person that gets to go back to your place with running water, with a democratic system that sort of works reasonably to relative comfort? You don't have to live with the the idea of these things, the reality of these things that the communities experience. So,
0: yeah. yeah. There is a point to that because say a lot of my experience has been in Australia and the whole fact that if you're working in spaces of marginalized people in society, you can sort of reiterate, or I don't know what the right way to phrase this is, but like basically repeat centuries old kind of behaviors of the white person trying to solve things for the indigenous peoples of Australia. Just having the conversation with them initially is what I found to be really empowering and saying, listen, look, What can I do to help? And Mm. I'm here, um, I'm interested, and you tell me what I can do to help make this better if you're open to it. And it's not really a case of me saying, I was really aware of this. I became really aware of it in design when I was in Australia. I was like, hi, um, I've got a problem and I'm sure you have the problem too. And I'm here to try and work with you to try and solve it. And they're like, who are you? You just come into our community like, really? Look at you. And I'm like, for people who don't know what I look like, I'm bald, I'm white, and I'm a man. So I'm like the antithesis of what they would imagine to be coming into that community. And it it was eye-opening for me. And I think we're pretty much speaking about the same thing there. Like, have you given much thought around what we can do to make this a little bit more palatable, a little bit easier? Because I'm aware that what we're talking about here is an awareness that design fundamentally is flawed mm. and the mindset of a designer I like to think is relatively coming from a place of good and it's not set in stone it's something there that we can reshape and reform into something that's going to be a lot more inclusive have you given much thought what that might look like
1: yeah and it's definitely changed over the years so originally it used to be things like do as much as you can to present multiple options like so I was thinking in a very visual design kind of way where early on I would uh, sneakily I always kind of termed it as sneakily try and put in the more diverse options or I would be out there doing the data mining to try and prove that a certain direction should be taken for the UX of a product or how we include different diverse language and things like that I would Spend a lot of time building up case for that, and while I think, still think that that is really important to do, I still think it's an, a great process to understand where your hunches are coming from. It's generally good practice to be able to do that, and I I think that it's also really good to know how you would go about the argument process with evidence should you come up against arguments, and I cannot say with confidence that you wouldn't come across some kind of resistance or pushback to more inclusive and more accessible and more justice oriented design Mm -hmm. ideas but I really do see the future as the designers within the industry taking a real strong stance to just say this is how we do things we do this by default, there is actually no other option to be less inclusive or less accessible or less justice-orientated. And again, we've said the word vulnerability quite a lot, but with that comes vulnerability. It's what you're saying is it's it's this way or the highway. It's being inclusive of low-income populations in different countries that don't have a device that is modern within the last five years and they have internet speeds Mm. of this uh, quality or Mm. nothing you don't get anything and it feels a bit zero-sum but I really do think that that is how we will convince the more capitalist side of culture the more the side of the industry at large to consider this as the path forward, like the path forward rather than a path forward and make it less of an optional extra, less of a feature request or Mm -hmm. an improvement on if we just get the basics right, we'll do the version of our software tool or we'll do the version of our campaign that meets the needs of the people that we really understand well, the the white middle class men that we know. Mm -hmm. And maybe we'll think about the other people that would actually really benefit from whatever we're trying to design more we'll think about them afterwards i really want us to move towards a a path where that is never gets discussed at the outset that is just a given
0: so where do the problems lie in terms of the process is it going right back to research or is it the teams being formed that aren't representative of the people that they're designing for or is it everything what needs to change and where are the main problems living
1: I think it might be part of how we are as design individuals as well as teams. So I wasn't always like this. I wasn't always as interested in the things that I'm interested in and the the sort of diversity of the diversity topic as well, until I started to really enjoy the process of talking to other people about what is going on in their lives, the process of better understanding the things that happen over here in this space versus this other space that I maybe know a little bit better. And then also having conversations within the design teams and the wider teams that I'm working with on design problems about those kinds of problems. And I think it kind of comes back to that something that I think is an essential design skill of compassionate curiosity and just genuinely wanting to learn more about what is going on in the world so maybe the root problem is of that is I don't see a lot of structures where designers are able to do that in their companies. So the idea that you could spend valuable design time having a conversation and learning something new about a community to be in- inclusive of them is something that I even now in the in the very open and progressive places that I do do work they still sort of say, oh, do you really need to spend time doing that? Like, wh- what kind of are you going to gain from having that conversation? And, mm-hmm. you know, there there are still the, the quiet sighs that happen in work conversations when you're like, but what if a farmer in Uganda needs to do this, this, this because of the community mm-hmm. and the structures in there? I mean, that is actually a, a recent example that I had with my current Workmates, because one of the things I learned just by having conversations with Ugandans is that there is a social media tax or like a certain okay. taxes that yeah. got put onto certain services. So I was like, "Well, how is this this thing, this tax, going to impact how you want to use our tool?" and they were like, oh, actually, that's a really great question. I'd really love to answer that for you so that you can better consider that within how you build your tool. And it's, I wouldn't have known mm. that if I hadn't been able to have the conversation over, I think, lunch at one point mm. with a previous Ugandan colleague. So yeah, better diversity of teams is absolutely something, some way to go towards that. But then we get into complex territory around how to make sure that team members across the globe are being cared for well. Mm -hmm. So when I am here as a designer being innately curious about how history is taught in Kenya or how Uganda plays this intermediary, intermediary role between Kenya and Tanzania in political issues or interested in all these different things, like what? pressure am I putting on my teammates and colleagues who actually have mm. stuff to do that isn't so sir- servicing my curiosity yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: so a large part of it is down to the formation of teams to make sure that what you're designing or who you're designing for is represented in the the teams that are building it and designing it
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think that would definitely help but I get Cautious and I get worried about this because I think that it's very a very easy answer to say, oh, we just need more diverse teams. We just need more diverse hiring mm. without necessarily thinking about, OK, what does somebody that's based in Nigeria need from us as a company or deserve from us as a company that we're hiring them for? Or Yeah what is the right thing to do there? Because I've again had conversations with folks both based in Nigeria looking for remote opportunities that are international. And as an example, and companies based here in the UK, that notice that there is obviously talent in places like Nigeria that they want to hire. Yeah, massive. It even sort of always feels really humorous to me that that statement needs to be said out loud. Like, there is talent in X country. It's becoming less of a surprise. It's crazy. Yeah, it's less of a surprise to people now. But there still are conversations that are had about this. Like, there is an agency I was talking to at one point. They've got a Nigerian developer on the team, and they were tackling with some issues around their clients, knowing that they have a Nigerian on their team, And wanting to reduce the price of what they are getting from that agency based off of that. And then that agency was having this conversation with me about, oh, how do we just say that they're just a team member and it doesn't matter that they're based here versus over here. And I said, well, you know, you're not necessarily going to convert that client right away to thinking that they can't, you know, save money by having a quote unquote cheaper member of staff through your agency immediately but what you can do is have a conversation with your Nigerian colleague about the best way that you, that can be served from their point of view you know actually do they want what do they want in that circumstance have a conversation about how you can actually push that forward and maybe publish it openly hey other agencies we had this conversation we decided to not necessarily try and solve it from our management European-white perspective, but we decided to really engage with the wider Nigerian uh, community to kind of better understand how that could be solved from the person that is negatively or discriminated against perspective.
0: So one of the things we were speaking about before was the fear about speaking about these things and receiving the wrath of communities who may feel that things weren't being said the correct way. And but from my experience and from my perspective on things, one of the most important things we can do as a community is speak about them and shine a light on these things. And I was speaking to Dr. Lucretia Berry, who the episode should be out probably by the time you're listening to this one recently. And I explained that there was a certain amount of fear from my own perspective about saying the wrong thing and coming across as saying something that's socially incorrect. And Lucretia made a really great point that like, you know, I was, that's coming from a place of fear that we're taught that fear. And it's okay as long as we coming from a place of purity and a place of, of, intent to talk about these things, because if you don't talk about them and we you know kind of keep them compressed in a in a chest within an organization, they're never going to get the light and the energy and ultimately the the money and energy that's required to to try and tackle them so for people out there listening like i I'd, I'd I'd love people to talk more around these issues because even myself, sometimes it's hard to bring these topics around and into what I would call like a, a normal conversation about addressing them and giving them the weight that they truly deserve. So what's your take on that? Like, what do you say to people who are a little bit more fearful about approaching these topics?
1: Yeah, this is huge. And one of the key things in the talk that I give and have been giving for a number of years now, which is about diversity and design and beyond really, is to be getting comfortable with the idea of being uncomfortable. Like. The feelings of discomfort, the feelings of fear are things that the more that you understand them, the more that you work with yeah. them personally, the less that they will feel like the end of the world in a good way of kind of phrasing yeah. the enormity of those feelings sometimes. And I think that good intent is a, always a really, really good in, good thing to be coming from a place of I I personally always come from a place of good intent until proven wrong Mm -hmm. most people that are marginalized in some way do that it is very rare that they haven't been taught how to come from a place of assume good intent until you have good evidence or good understanding to do that I think that there are a number of ways that you can you can tackle this really I think there's a less extroverted way to tackle it, which is about reading widely and consuming content of varied different kinds of sources. And if you're mm. struggling to find sources, then you can start with one source and then branch out from that source mm. ad infinum. Yeah. And the second thing to do is once you feel more comfortable with those kinds of knowledge bases and those kinds of conversations is start to have start to have those kinds of conversations within communities that you feel relatively safe in so communities where you are share the same sort of quote-unquote demographics they might be other white people if you want to start thinking about how to have conversations about race they might be other heterosexual people or people that aren't lgbtq Mm. If you want to start talking about those kinds of issues, it might be people that are cisgendered. If you want to start talking specifically about trans issues and then thinking about how you might take that into a forum where other people of that marginalization are present. So Mm. one of the things that I do in my diversity talk, I, I actually stole this from the Stonewall conference, which is you enter that space and you enter that talk willing to compassionately correct and be compassionately corrected. So I have noticed every time that I give this talk, the one about diversity and design, which tends to focus more on experiences of my own LGBTQ identity with and my sort of invisible disability identity, I will inevitably get some kind of question which is a very confrontational, in objective terms, a very sensitive topic. Often I get the Question, which is, you don't look trans, which is a very, it's never an easy question to hear, but I understand why it's asked. And the more that it's asked to me, the more that I'm happy to and prepared to answer it. And the more that I understand what the need for that question being asked and then being answered is. And I don't know whether I enjoy having that question (laughs) proposed to me, but I enjoy the idea that at some point, somebody will be able to have some information of which to better ask a better question to somebody else. And I think I've definitely had some experiences where people have seen some of the content of the talk where I talk about UI design. And I talk a lot about like how we can design better data capture if we need to d- capture data about people and how to do that compassionately for things like ethnicity and race and how to do it for gender diversity mm-hmm. and expression. And one of my most happy moments is when somebody actually saw a second talk by myself and had came up to me afterwards and said, after your diversity talk, I went and had this conversation about the suffix, the Mr, Miss, Mrs, and MX, Mm. which is the gender neutral term. And we had a really great conversation within the development team and the product team and the wider team about why we even need that. And, you know, it was complicated and it was uncomfortable, but it was so, so useful. And thank you for that. So, yeah, I think that there is a need to embrace to some extent that fear and the more comfortable and privileged that you assume or think that you are the better positioned you are to deal with that fear and I think that one of the one of the things to be careful of around that fear is to try and do your own work around how safe you feel in general and if you feel relatively safe as a person existing in general life then you will have some level of fear when tackling these topics that you're unknown about that are unknown to you but you will at least have the safety that you're not going to be harmed if you start talking about these these topics. So a, a good example mm-hmm. to say is if there was a group of design peers that you had access to, Jerry, perhaps they were of different kinds of race, but you had a reasonable Idea that they were not part of the LGBTQ community, and you went to them and said, "Hey, let's think about having a conversation about how to be more inclusive of, of people that are transgender or are part of the LGBTQ community." There, you're coming from a relative point of safety, as what I'm assuming as a heterosexual white male part of that community. Whereas a person like myself going into that community, even though it's actually quite easy to hide your sexuality unless you're very open about it online like Mm. I am and your gender identity. I'm not entering that space from an assumption that I will not be attacked. So there's kind of, you know, it's a good idea to really think about, okay, what conversations am I approaching from a point of safety versus a point of um, being unsafe? So that's that's a good thing to consider.
0: Yeah. But approaching those conversations, like are there things that... We can do to reduce the, the likelihood of, the, the, I don't want to say backlash, but you know, I- improve the safety aspect in terms of like leading up to those conversations. So I'm just thinking for people who are in their organisations at the moment and they want to start the conversation mm. off. What are the steps that they can do to? Like, it's easy for me to say, everyone today, this is going to be a safe mm. room, and which we all know is a load of crap. But because it's not just a case of saying it mm-hmm. to make it; it's a case of like designing that and making sure that people are feel brave enough to raise their voice and be heard. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is like a, another buzzword for for our our conversation is tricky. Is it is it is another tricky topic because mm. one community's level of safety for a conversation is not another community's level of safety versus yeah. individual safety. So. Yeah, it's a tricky one. The one thing that I'm certain of, and conversations that I've had with organisations around this topic is an endless source of frustration for me, is when these companies come up to me and they say, we really want to start having more conversations about diversity and inclusion in how we work, both in a sort of organisational way, but also how we do our work as well, like so our design work or our development Mm -hmm. work. We want to have more conversations about that. And I sort of start talking about the things that I've experienced and I start kind of explaining those things and also anecdotes from other stories that I've heard. And they sort of stop me and go, whoa, 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 can we just, you know, have it a little bit more solutions focused or we can, can we make sure that there's a positive outcome to this? And I see a lot of, uh, yeah, it is shocking to kind of have that. But there is a real desire for those conversations to finish on a positive note. And I think one of the first things that you can do is have that understanding and that framing of you might not come out of this conversation feeling 100% great, like you've got anywhere near a solution that it feels positive. And actually, it might do good to have a whole session, which is about focusing on just those really nasty, awful things that happen so that you can sit with those feelings and you can understand those feelings from a group perspective. I would love it if more conversations about inclusion and diversity and discrimination and how to change tools and software and all the things that we work on, how to change those things to Mm. mitigate and stop those awful things from happening, weren't always tinged with this. But we need to find the solution sometimes. The people that are treated awfully and marginalized, they need that space to say, here's all just this awful stuff. And I, I'm not going to sit here and or I'm not going to be part of the solution part just yet because I'm so it's such an impactful experience to be kind of marginalized and discriminated against in large and small Mm. ways day-to-day, hour-to-hour, week-to-week. You know, I've had to tell a number of different companies Just sometimes I just don't have the energy to fathom this kind of positivity that you're looking for to to feel better. So that's one thing that I would say expectations-wise. About creating a safe space, I think that practicing apologizing, practicing your own way of Mm. doing apologies, practicing your own way of receiving information that may or may not be kind of in the moment feelings-based. We all have a tendency to say things that are ill-informed or based off of learned behaviours. I certainly have many, many learned behaviours. It took me, how long did it take me? Quite a long time to remove the vocabulary of guys from my just general mm. general speech patterns you know i trained yeah. i trained really really hard to just remove that from collective group reference yeah and even as a person that is affected by that statement and what it took was several conversations with myself several conversations with others a lot of just practicing and also when i still do those kinds of things out in the wild remembering to go oh Hang on, did that wrong. Here's the correction. Move along.
0: Yeah, it's a complex thing. But, like, as you were saying earlier on, or as I was saying earlier on, it's something that I'm nurturing my children to think more about in terms of the pronoun choice to become more inclusive by default. And the story I was telling for anyone who follows me on on Twitter in particular, like, my little girl's three and a half, and I walked them to take her, and there's the lollipop lady, which is what society calls them but I'm like hey there's the lollipop person and it's kind of come part of their natural vocabulary at the moment but about a month ago in Ireland as it's coming into autumn it's raining a little bit more and on a Saturday I said hey let's make some uh, gingerbread men and a hand goes up and goes, daddy I think you mean uh gingerbread mm-hmm. people and I'm like yeah and you mean I was just so proud like at that moment where you know it's they get it Frey gets it like it was a wonderful moment for me as a parent and it's hope for the future is what I'm I'm looking at.
1: Yeah, definitely. I look to the globalization of the younger generations with immense hope and immense positivity that there will be hmm. the energy to, to carry these kinds of things forward. But yeah. from a, going back to sort of like a design and business perspective, I just can't get past this. If you're not here with this moment and I'm working on these things, you're just going to get left behind. And if that means for Profit making companies, if you're interested in profit, Mm. it means that you're going to make less profit. One of the stories that I reference is when I was working for a well known student accommodation company, we would go and do check in when we were allowed to move around freely in the world. Mm. So we would go and check in students. And I remember the online service of booking and paying for your accommodation was very non-diverse it was very much you know you have the male and female option and also it was hilarious at the time because I was trying to push for this they wanted to put males in flats with males and females in flats with females and the reasoning for that was so obscure and very kind of Victorian British because I was like well why why can't people choose who they want to live with and there was this whole oh you know but what if you know they get distracted if they're you know in flats with you know opposite genders and I was just like, what do you, I mean, who cares, one, that students want to have a good time with other students. But also, two, I was absolutely gobsmacked. They didn't think women that identified as women and couldn't distract each other. It's co- it's quite fairly common knowledge that that happens and vice versa. So it just seemed laughable to me. But when we went and did the check-ins and actually were at the properties chatting with a lot of the, the users, you know, the people that used our service, I would regularly see, people that were of whatever gender kind of visibly walking hand in hand. And and definitely some some couples or people looked to me that they were presenting as two female people in a relationship. And I was just like, well, if you're not doing that work and signalling that, hey, you're inclusive of this, or you know that this happens, then it just, to me, it just seems like you're going to become an antique pretty quickly and just be laughable. So, yeah. yeah.
0: It doesn't take much in those circumstances, mm. Errol come towards the end of the episode. If people want to reach out to you and get in touch, follow you, now's the time to to say it forever hold your peace. <laughs> What's the best way for them to make make contact?
1: The best way to make contact with me is via the Twitters, which is at Errol does design and Errol is spelled e r i o l
0: yeah, it's a great name I love it I love it. <laughs> thanks i'll throw a link to that in the show notes everyone and i'll also throw a link to your your website as well for people to check out some more of your work i really enjoyed speaking with you today and look honestly thank you so much for your time i know you take time out of your day to do these things and so i really appreciate it it was great speaking with you
1: yeah likewise thank you so much
0: so there you have it that's all for this episode of Bringing Design Closer. If you like this episode, feel free to visit thisishcd.com where you can access our back catalogue of over 100 episodes with episodes related to service design, product management, design research and much, much more. If you're interested in design and innovation training, feel free to check out our business, thisisdoing.com, where you can join online classrooms and learn from the world's best design and innovation leaders. Join the This Is H C D newsletter where you'll receive updates from the network and also if you're interested, apply to join the Slack community on thisishcd.com. Stay safe and until next time, take care.